I'm going to talk to you today about fear, confronting fear, because God knows this world is in a state, and fear has become a huge giant in our world and in, our, in the country that we live in. And so I wanna talk about that and how that affects, you know, Pastor D has been giving passionate messages about going into the harvest and getting into the fields and collecting the harvest. But fear happens to be one of the biggest things that keeps Christians from moving out. And I wanna talk about that. So let me pray real quick and then we will get into the message. Lord, right now I just pray that you will give hearing ears to all who hear. Lord, you have something to say, there's something in everyone's heart, whether they're here today or online or will be listening, that you want to, to tweak, to change, to strengthen, to help encourage, Father, so that they can become uh, the disciples who go out into the harvest and collect what you have promised for us to have in these last days. So Lord, I just give this time to you and I ask you, Holy Spirit, to take my words and use them for the kingdom of God and its glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, well, as I said, I'm gonna talk about fear and how fear keeps us from moving. It keeps us from moving out, from doing the things that God is wanting to do. But see, here's the thing. It keeps us from moving but God is always on the move. And if we stay put, we get behind. We get back away from him. And it makes catching up very difficult sometimes. And so we really have to be, if God's moving, we need to be moving where he's moving. And when he's moving, that's the other thing. And he's always on the move. And you know, as I said, Pastor D's been preaching, he's been talking about going out into the fields of harvest. and. And I'm gonna talk a lot today about the, the situation of the Jews, you know, in the Old Testament where they were in the wilderness and they were getting ready to go into the promised land. Everybody knows that story. Well, just like them, we cannot be that generation who because of fear sits and waits and who won't go into the promised land. And when that happens, you know what happens? We lose our inheritance. It's the next generation who's gonna come in and take it. And I don't know about you, but I wanna be a Joshua and I wanna be a Caleb. I wanna be one of those people involved in taking what part of my inheritance is. And we have to be aware that there is a cost to waiting. You know, there is a real cost to waiting. One of those things that I said is the cost that comes to us if we lose our inheritance, if we wait and don't go in and take what God has promised to us, we lose a part of our inheritance that could have been ours. Paul said in Philippians, he said this, that I may lay hold of that which Christ has also laid hold of me. That means <clears throat> that he had, God had something when you got saved, he purposed when he created you that you were born in this time, for this time. Of all the times you could have been born, you were born in this time. Why? 
because he knew that you, if you connect with him in the way that you need to be connecting, if we connect the way we need to be connecting, we can inherit what he has promised, and that is a huge end-time harvest, and we can be a part of that. And that's what you were born for. You know, and as we sang today, he's not gonna abandon us. You know, those, those people, the Jewish story, they chose not to go in and take their inheritance. But God's a good God, and he loved them anyway, and he provided, it says, food every day, and their clothes didn't wear out. He still was there with him. What they lost was the provision of the inheritance that was gonna come, which would be part of their eternal reward. But as I said, the other, the next generation is the one who came along and took that. What else does it cost if we wait, if we hang around and wait and let fear keep us from moving out? The reality of it is that it keeps us and it keeps people from coming in and being saved and changed and their souls going to on into heaven for eternity. That's the cost if we wait. In 2020, there were 239 and a half million Americans. That's a lot of bodies. That's a lot of souls. And, and the uh, information said that 65% called themselves Christians. Now, I'm gonna take a little, what, kind of an attitude because if 65% of Americans say they are Christians, our world and our America should look a whole lot different than it does. But also, the statistics told me that 3.4 million of those in 2020 died. 3.4 million. How many of them went to hell? How many lost their salvation, didn't have a salvation to even lose because they hadn't been told and they didn't know? And that's on our watch. That's on our watch. And so, I wanna ask you, does that grip you? When I saw that, that gripped my heart. Can you imagine God looking every day down and seeing people fall off into eternity that are lost? It grips his heart. I mean, we know the scriptures. For God so what? Loved that he gave, he purposed to come, he suffered the death that he did, not just for us, but for those who are dropping off as well, he wants them to be saved. And I asked Pastor D, he was there on vacation, and I, I did interrupt, forgive me, Pastor D, if you're watching, I did interrupt, he was on the golf course, <laughs> and I did say, hey, can you give me a number of what you think of souls that we, as a body of believers here of Redeemers, have, we know, might have come to Christ. And he, he was gracious and he texted me back and he said about 14 to 15,000 souls he can best guess in our time of him being pastor. Now that doesn't count for the times of what happened with Pastor Willard and Millie's watch, how many souls came to Jesus. But I'm telling you, that's a drop in the bucket. We can't be patting ourselves on the shoulders because that's a drop in the bucket to those who are falling off all the time. And the fear of change and the fear of going out into the unknown that really grips most Christians from doing what we need to do as far as bringing in the harvest. There's a scripture in Ezra, and and I think we're ready for these. It's in Ezra 4, 12 to 13, and it says, but many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple 
wept loud voices when the foundation of the temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. Now what's going on here? Obviously there's some confusion. And obviously there were two groups, those who are weeping and those who are excited. The ones who were weeping were stuck in the past. They were looking for things to be going back to the way they knew, the way they had been, the way that they were used to. They looked at the foundation and they were comparing it to the old temple, the glory days of Solomon. And they were comparing with their memory and it didn't to them match up. And they're weeping. And then you have this whole other group who are excited who are saying, thank God we haven't had a temple in all this time and we're gonna go forward, we're moving out and things are gonna be exciting and new and we're moving forward. And they were, they were shouting with joy. Two groups, one stuck in the past, one fearing and not wanting to go on in the future and the other waiting and excited about the future. And you know, this is how history always is. When things are happening like where we're at in the world today, God's still moving and part of us wants to be with the past because we really like that past and others of us are saying, yes, I can see the harvest. I can see what's going on. There's such great opportunity. Let's move out and move forward. But to do that, we do have to change and change is very scary. And if we're going to keep up with God, because see, that's what I want to do, because when you're hanging out with God, that's where your safety is, and that's where your provision is for all the things. And so I want to hang out with God and go where he's going, because he's on the move, and I want to be where he's going. You know, when God calls any kind of a move to take place, it's a corporate move. It's a corporate call. And it takes the parties of the leaders to say, yes, Lord, we hear the call and we will go. But that's not good enough. It takes also the individual bodies who make up that corporate group, they have to say yes too. So even though all of us in leadership may say, yes, we see God's on the move, we see the harvest, we wanna go into it, it takes all of the corporate body to go too. Because you see, when the corporate body doesn't want to move out, what happened with the Jews in the wilderness? They stayed, didn't they? They stayed 40 years. And so I want to take a look at that for a second about that story that you know I'm talking about with the 12 spies, you know the story. Now here's the thing. All 12 of them saw the same thing. They all went into the promised land. They all saw the same thing. They all were experiencing the same thing. They all saw the giants. They all saw the fruit. They all saw the great things. But for some reason, 10 of them, their perspectives were one way. They looked at what they saw and they said, it's impossible. We can't do it. And two of them, of course, you know the story, Joshua and Caleb, they said, yes, we can. We are well able to go in and take that. What was it that was preventing the 10 from seeing the same perspective? 
It was because fear rose up in their hearts and they became intimidated. Fear does that on purpose. It's exactly what it does to go into the heart of any believer and to rise up and to keep us from taking the ground that God wants us to take. And you see, right there, all they had to do was cross the river. It was right there in front of them, yet they couldn't bring themselves to do it. Fear took over. It filled their hearts with worry, anxiety, and of course the fear of death. And see, the problem is that fear is contagious. We talk about how COVID's contagious. Fear is contagious. And when fear begins to rise up in a heart and that heart begins to share their fear, it can spread like a wildfire through people. And what happens is it can take powerful people and turn them into being intimidated, feeling powerless, wanting to cower and hide and not confront what is ready for them to be able to have. And so we really have to understand fear and we really need to confront it and take control of it. If you're going to walk the path with God, I can tell you fear is going to be a part of your path because God doesn't reveal, he just doesn't. There would be no reason for faith if he did. But God doesn't reveal the whole map. He gives you a little section. And most of the time, we end up walking off the map because we don't have a map and we know we need to keep going and we don't even know where we're going. And that's where faith comes. And the devil does this on purpose, you see, because he wants to stop the church's advancement. And right now, he's been real good at succeeding that at stopping the church's advancement. He's been trying to silence us, not even singing and stuff like that that was happening. And so I'm telling you, we gotta get ready because the harvest is big, the devil knows what's at stake, and he's cranking it up and trying to bring fear all the time in every way he can. And when fear comes knocking, what are you gonna do? Because it's gonna come. Because if you claim to be a Christian and you're sitting here on Sunday or you're watching out there, the devil knows who you are and he's gonna come knocking on your door. Now, God made fear, you know, the fight or flight thing, that's for good. You know, like little people we learn quick, don't put your hand on a hot surface because you get burnt. That's that fight or flight kind of a thing. That's for our good, that's for our safety. But when the fall happened, fear became a superpower. It became a superpower with superpowers, you might say. It became a powerful tool of the enemy. Let's look at 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, for God has not given us a, what? Spirit of fear. Not just fear, but a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. You see, God hasn't given it to us, so who gave it to us? Who gave us fear? The enemy did, exactly, and it's demonic. And how do we overcome it? Power, right? That means God strong in us, love, 
God in us because and we know him and his love for us and a sound mind and that's usually where we fail is the mind. But we need to have our minds renewed and transformed as the Bible says and then if we do, we don't have those openings for the devil to come in with fear as easy. Romans 8.15 says this, for you did not receive the spirit of what? Spirit of bondage. See, fear not only brings bondage, but we know in another scripture it says fear brings torment. Fear has one object, and that is to keep you bound up and keep you from moving out. But you know, love, again, 1 Corinthians tell us that of everything, what is the greatest thing? Love. And love can overcome fear when it's the love of God in us and that we're using and standing in that. So let's talk a little bit more about handling fear because it's going to come. Ignoring it doesn't work. Because the demonic assignment is for fear to pop up and show itself all the time. It will get your attention, and that's because it's one of its superpowers, is to get your attention. You can cover it up, you can try to have coping skills, you can try to numb its effects, but I'm telling you, fear will find a way around it because fear has that kind of superpower. And it's rooted in those kinds of things of us fearing and having anxiety and worry. See, fear comes from what we see or we think we see. And you know, there's an acronym of the letters of fear, false evidence appearing real. See, there's truth and then there's truth. The devil can bring some truth out and say, look, you should be afraid. But then there's God and his truth about how he sees things, how he feels about things, how he wants us to do with things, that's the real truth. Anxiety comes from the unknown and the unexpected and the understood. We don't understand something. And so the thing is that it takes the sound mind to deal with fear and anxiety. Let me give you an example. Have you seen those uh, YouTubes or whatever where uh, there's that, those big bridges in different places that are all glass over big canyons and you, and you watch people, you know, they're stepping out and they're good and then there's a space of glass before there's another little connector and they're like looking down and their eyes are telling them what's down there and you can watch the fear take place even in little people that you see in those videos because the eyes are telling them one thing and their mind hasn't kicked into the fact that there is a glass that's strong enough to hold all those adults that have walked and crossed over. But in that moment, they're consumed with right here with what they see. And so it takes that sound mind to be able to process through what your body is telling you. How many of you have ever gone to a 3D type movie? You know, you put those goggles on. And my body, I'm seeing, you know, the, uh, like the planes and you're going up and down over the mountains and around and you're, and you're jumping, bungee jumping or whatever it is. My mind 
tells me that what I'm seeing on that screen, because it's bigger than life, that's happening to me. And my palms will sweat, and I can wipe them, and you know, and I get like fluttery. And there are times that I've even gotten motion sickness by watching because my eyes are telling me one thing, and yet my rear end is planted right there in a seat, and I am not even there. Now, Disney and places, you know, they have things like where they spritz you with water so it feels like, you know, you're getting the spray of the ocean if you're going out or the smells of the pine trees or whatever. But it doesn't matter. Visually, the anxiety and the fear comes and I have to literally shut my eyes. I have to tune out so that my mind can take control. Fear and anxiety come usually together because they're a buddy system and they know that the two of them together have even more superpowers. And you know, when I was looking at those uh, different statistics, it said that 275 million people in America right now currently suffer from some kind of anxiety or fear disorder. Wow, that's a field of ripeness right unto itself because we have the answer and that's Jesus Christ, because he is the one who can put fear in its place, because he didn't give fear, and he is the superior power with love and the power within him, and a sound mind that's clear, uh, clearly put into him can overcome these fears. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about fear in the sense of some directions and things to handle with fear. One of them is to have a solid faith foundation. Pastor David Jeremiah, some of you may know who he is, he said, living by faith keeps fear in its place. Living by faith keeps fear in its place. The three little pigs, you know the story. One pig ended up being safe, and everybody else had to run into that. And I'm telling you, that's the way it is right now. The third pig should be us as the church. And it should be that the world, the other two out there, should be running into us because we have the building that's built and it's strong and its foundation is built on the rock. Matthew 7, 24 to 28 gives us the same parable and tells us about that. And it's about building a house either on sand or the rock. And Jesus says, whoever hears the words of Jesus and does them is gonna be wise and they will be safe. Rains, floods, and winds can come. In other words, life's gonna come. And life is now coming at us really fast. And when these things come, there's only one safe place and that's on the rock with Jesus. Having faith in who he is. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The word of God. So we need to have a strong faith foundation. You know, Jesus told Peter in Matthew that it's through the revelation of God's word and understanding it and being obedient to it that, that the gates of what? Hell are not gonna be able to prevail against us. So if those things of fear and all the stuff of life is prevailing against the church or against us as individuals, it says one thing. We've somehow left off with the foundation of faith and believing it, believing God's word. 
You know, the foolishness part is the, was the other two, um, you know, pigs in the situation. It's like what happens is we have people, Christians, who come to church, who maybe occasionally read their Bible. They know the word, but they're not living the word. They're not practicing the word. They're not standing on the word. Instead, crisis comes and they run and they're afraid instead of standing and learning how to stand on the word. And so when fear comes knocking or blowing or flooding, as in the parable, there's only one way to stop it and put up a defense, and that is to have a strong foundation in the word of God. But another part of that foundation is knowing God and his word intimately. And so not just having that foundation, but to know it and to know it intimately, to know that it works. And that's where the rubber meets the road sometimes because we don't want to stand and learn how to let it work. You know, the devil, as I said, is working feverishly and he wants to destroy and make the church, if he can't destroy us, make us impotent and so that the harvest doesn't come in the way that God is, has intended it from uh, being. The devil is never gonna rest. Now, we, we, we need rest, but he'd never rest, and I don't know how many times I have awakened to another day, and I hear in the news on the radio or you know, in passing, this happened, that happened, whatever. And it's, and it's almost like if you've ever been at the beach and having wave after wave after wave hit you and you can hardly catch your breath. And the devil knows this and he is not gonna stop, I'm telling you. But another helpful part in knowing and standing on faith is to know what's in your heart. See, the heart has to buy into, not just the mind and the understanding, but the heart has to buy into what we know. And we, the Bible clearly tells us that the heart is what? Deceitful, right? And we really don't know it. Let's take a look at Joshua 14, 7 for a minute. This is going back to the story with the, the spies and Joshua and Caleb. And this is Caleb talking years later. And he says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as was in my heart. You see, there was something in Caleb's heart and Joshua's heart that made them the two who stood up against the other 10 to have a different perspective a different understanding, who had an excitement about going in and taking the land. So what was in their heart and why was it in their heart? I can tell you why. Because the Bible tells us that Joshua, and we know probably Caleb, because they were buds, but we know for sure Joshua, it tells us that where did he hang out a lot? At the door of the tabernacle, right? And so he was there where the pillar was by day, you know, the pillar and the cloud, the presence of God. He was hanging out in the presence of God all the time. And he knew God, he knew his, the intimacy with God, not just like Moses, but he did. And I'm sure Caleb was a part of that at times, and they talked. So they were intimate with the God that was working with them and in their midst. 
and they knew that God was wanting them to move out. And they're saying, hey, God's telling us to go. His timing's always right. I mean, look, we left Egypt, and we got like millions of, you know, of the gold and the riches of Egypt to be able to use, and as we go into the promised land, he got us through the Red Sea, he's done this, he's done this. Hey, it's right on, it's time, we move. But these others, they didn't have that persuasion. Even though, you know, we look and we say, man, if we'd had, the, we'd be even traveling and we had that pillar uh, in the day of the cloud and the fire at night, you know, we, we would be hanging out all the time in God's presence. Well, here were all these people and the word tells us in Exodus that um, they chose to be distant. They actually said, Moses, you, you go, Moses, you, you go, and you hear from God, and you come and tell us, and we'll be good. We'll, we'll be good with that. But see, the problem with that is that they didn't have that intimate relationship that Moses did, and Joshua had, and Caleb had, because they were letting someone else be the one to be close for them. I'm telling you, we can't hear from God secondhand. We can have, and we do have, in this pulpit, great messages, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And there may have been a time when they would be enough to carry people through till the next Sunday. But with the way life's happening and with the all-out forces of the devil against us, you may need your own relationship with God by Sunday night. That Sunday morning service may not even be enough to carry, no matter how good it is, because life is coming at us so fast. And you cannot hang on with second-hand relationship. Caleb said and talked up. Remember, he was the one, they were the ones who spoke up and said, let's go in. And it's time that we too said, we have to go in and take the land. And we have to have that passion like they did for what was on God's heart and go in and take what God's telling us to take. You know, if we're gonna be his disciples, that is his hands, his feet, his mouth, you know, all those kinds of things, doing like he did, loving people, you know, our, our motto is loving God and loving people, feeding them, healing them, saving them, guiding them, then you have to let go of the past and you have to remember what God has done, stand on his word, and we have to move out and reach forward. You know, Paul said in Philippians, forgetting the things which are behind, I do what? I reach forward, I press, that means you actively move against resistance to be able to take what's out in front of you. And that's what God is calling us to do right now. You know, there were some things that Pastor D said in the last couple of weeks and when I was taking notes, he had some great statements and I just want to bring those uh, back up in your mind because I know life's come at you fast in the last two weeks and you probably have forgotten them. He said, Jesus is looking for laborers to be in the fields of the world. We only get one crack at this life, no rehearsals and no rewinds. The harvest indeed is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
just show up and do something. Here I am, use me. Let your life in me make a difference, God. And see, that's what Joshua and Caleb were saying. The God that's been with us all along will be with us when we go out. The 10 were overwhelmed by what they saw. Joshua and them saw the same thing, but why were they not overwhelmed? Why were they not seeing the giants in the same way? Because they knew how big their God was. He was much bigger than any giant. They believed and they knew. So, when you look, when you go home and you look around you, do you see the ripe harvest that's around you? I mean, I look at the news, I see things on the news, and my mind says, well, they obviously don't know our God. If you're at work, in your neighborhood, even your family gatherings, and I've got some family who are not saved, and when you're with them and around, you know that, they, that they're part of that harvest. And so we've got to be like the Joshua and the Caleb to say we need that perspective that God has. See, those 10 spies, they focused on what? The fear of the things that, were, that they saw because their perspective was changed by fear. They saw giants, they saw strong men, they saw strong defenses. They said it's a land that devours anyone who stands up to it. You know, my mind goes and I see like ground that opens a mouth up and wants to swallow you. But that's the kind of thought part, uh, process that they had. They said, we're grasshoppers to them. But Joshua and Caleb, because of their perspective, because they had hung out with God, that because they had a strong foundation in God, their perspective was totally different. They said, it's a good land. In other words, our fields out there are good fields with good harvest in them. It's not just, exceed, it's not just good, but it's exceedingly good and full of good things. And this is a key. They said, God has them ready for us. Get that. For the harvest that's out there waiting for you, for me. God has the fields ready out there. They are ready for us. God has already worked to bring about circumstances and situations in such a way that the answers that we have, that the things we have to say will fit and they will understand. They also went on to say, he has removed their defenses and God is with us. So every argument, everything, when you trust in God, there will be an answer for those who God has set up in your path. Now, another strategy to help in all of this is to run towards your giants. You see, Joshua and Caleb were ready to run towards the land of the giants. David ran towards his giant. How did David run towards a giant? When he actually, we know, in size and stature, he was even smaller than a lot of the, the grown men at that time. What made him be able to run towards the giant? 
It's because he had learned about God and his foundations in God and who God was and how big God was. Remember he said, I've killed a bear and I've killed a lion. And he went on and and talked about those things. He had an assurance of who his God was. And, you know, he said, I want you to take a look at what he said in 1 Samuel 17. This is David. It said, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. Kind of like, huh. But I am coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That name we sang about today. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Now, he's beginning to change the whole atmosphere, David is. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, and I'm gonna take your head from you, and this day I will give the carcasses of this camp to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth will know what? that there is a God. See, our world has forgotten that there is a God. And it's only through us, his people, that we can make that known. We need to get angry, people. We need to have a righteous anger that the world has cowered us and stole from us and kept us down all this time and the world has gotten in the shape it is. We need to get a righteous anger and say, we know who our God is and we're about ready to do something about it. See, then all of this assembly, see, he wasn't just talking about the, the Philistines, he was saying this assembly. Remember the story? The Jewish, all the other people behind him who were his part of his tribes and the family of God, they were cowers. They were cowering. The fear had taken them. Even the king. He said, then all this assembly, I'm talking Christians here, shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, but for the battle is whose? the Lord's, and he will give them into our hands. That's the God, and that's the attitude. We need to intimidate the intimidator by running towards our giants and fear. Run towards the intimidator and strike fear into his life. Now, Pastor D was saying, just do something. Remember, he was saying in one of his messages, just do something. Step out and do something. But you say, how? How do I do that? That's not my thing, you know. You're the evangelist, Pastor D. How do we do that? Now, I want to go through some things quickly to tell you how we can even do the smallest of things to make a difference. So how do we do that? First of all, be interruptible and available. What do I mean by that? Most of the time, God sets up things for us and people along our way, and it's gonna interrupt our days and our plans, and we're just like, I'm not feeling it. I don't wanna be interrupted. We have to be available if we want God to use us. He will go to extraordinary measures to set up people in your path that you practically trip over them when you choose to be available and interruptible. Now, some of you say, well, 
I don't know what to do. I'm not trained in evangelism, or I haven't gone to nations to nations, or I didn't take some class at seminary to be able to do something like this. Well, the Bible says in Zechariah 4, don't despise the day of what? Small beginnings. Do something even if it's the littlest thing. Be filled with the Spirit. Have your foundation strong. I'm telling you, you need to be filled in the Spirit. If you don't have the baptism, you need to be filled in the Spirit in this day and age. Because it is through the power of the Spirit and through the availability of the tongues and being able to go bypass this realm uh, to be able to get the kind of power links that we need and the kind of downloads that we need in the day and age. And so pray in tongues as much as possible. Use your spiritual gifts that God has given to you, even in the smallest ways. And so be praying and, and asking. Those are all just simple things in the setting up, okay? But here's some actual practical things that you can do. Send a card. Pay attention to people who are around you. People here in the church, if they look down, if, something, if they just seem discouraged, if you had a conversation, send them a card, encourage them. Make a phone call. Encourage someone. Tell them that you were thinking about them. Go visit. Build a relationship on purpose. Send a text, a blessing. Ask someone to lunch. You know, there are widows and, and singles who don't have family around. Holidays are coming up. Invite them to your holiday meal. Partner with God. Ask him to give you divine appointments and then watch for them to happen. When I was texting with Pastor D, he said that even, you know, it's Pastor D, but this is how easily it can happen. They were out eating on Friday night, there was a conversation, People, another couple got involved in that conversation, and it led to him being able to share about the salvation and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and these two, this couple got saved right there. I've been in the Apple store, went there to get my machine fixed, wasn't looking for a divine appointment, but I have decided to be available and interruptible. So I noticed this guy kept going, you know, he, he'd touch his shoulder like this. So when we're all done, I said to him, are you okay? You look like you might have a little pain. He said, oh, I dislocated my collarbone yesterday and it's, it's causing me some discomfort. I said, can I pray for you? He looked at me, uh, yeah, I guess so. I said, can I pray for you now? Bigger eyes, uh, yeah, I guess so. So we were sitting on those little stools, you know, if you've ever been to the Apple store. So I got up, he stayed sitting, I just walked over beside him. I said, can I put my hand on you? He said, he looked up at me and said, uh, yeah. And so I put my hand on him, and I just sort of bowed my head. I didn't get all, oh, holy Father, God in heaven. No, I just touched him lightly and said, God, and I forget his name now, he's had this problem. God, you love him. You want him to be healed. Come, Lord, and touch him in Jesus' name, that powerful name. That's all I did. I didn't go into all the different reasons why of healing and asking him if he needed deliverance and all the, uh, you know, I didn't, nothing, just that quick. He goes, yeah, 
it seems to be a little better. Now, I may never see that man again, but it's the point that it's a point of contact that will make a difference. And this is where I'm getting into the last little bits. All of us are given fruits of the Spirit if we allow them to grow. Now, the fruits of the Spirit, how do you get fruit? Fruit trees, we live on a farm. I know how we do it. You put a lot of the stinky stuff on them, and you stir it in. And that makes fruit really grow. And I don't know about you, but I have had, especially in the last two years, a lot of stinky stuff happen to me. And I'm going to say to God, God, I don't want that to be run off. I don't want that to be wasted. I want you to work that in me to make good fruit. Because let me tell you, let's talk about those fruits. Love. The church is the only place that you can get agape love, the true love of God. We're the only ones who understand that and have that and can share it. And when you give agape love to somebody, people take notice. Joy, I'm telling you, that's not based in circumstances. Most people wanna be happy, but happiness, I think it was Pastor Caleb said, happiness is based in circumstances. Joy is based in who we are in our God. And when you share joy, when you're able to show joy to a world, then the world takes notice because they know it's not natural to be that way and the world will notice. Peace, I'm telling you, peace is supernatural because it's a crazy and chaotic world out there and when you show peace in the midst of the craziness, people take notice. Patience, Ooh, that's a power more than this flesh, but God has helped me many, many times to have patience in a world that really pushes things. And when you have patience, patience, people notice. It's the same with kindness, random acts. People take notice. Faithfulness, if you give your word, keep your word. In this day and age, in the midst of lies and self-agendas and promotions, just being faithful to do your job, people will take notice. Be gentle, there's so many hurting people out there. And when we're, we are gentle and kind back to these people, it's like God kisses them with a kiss and people take notice. The same way with self-control, in a world that's out of control, when you're in control in the midst of all of that, people will take notice. And what's the big deal that people take notice? Because it leads to them saying, um, why are you? Why are you like this? How do you have this peace? How, how are you like this or this? Perfect door. Well, I can't, but Jesus in me can. And that's your open door. Okay, I wanna wrap up here and say let's become like G or Joshua and Caleb and redeem the time. God has prepared a harvest out there. Ask him to change our perspective and to value the fact that there are souls going to hell. Put fear under our feet. Can you put up this uh, real quick? Joshua 10, 24. 
why she's doing that. You know, Joshua, there's, uh, in the beginning of the book of Joshua, there's a thing where God spoke to Joshua and said, let every place your foot, right, tread, I'm gonna give it to you. So here in Joshua 10, 24, it's for the Amorite kings, they were the enemies of the Jewish people as they were going in the promised land. It says, so it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went, who went with him, come near and do what? Put your feet on the necks of these kings. Now who were these kings? Who were they? They were the powers that stood in opposition to taking the promised land. That's who these kings were. They were the opposition. And Joshua was saying, put your foot on the neck of that. And they drew near and they put their feet on their necks and then Joshua said to them, do not be afraid nor dismayed. Be strong and of good courage for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. That's the promise as we step out to get the harvest that anything that wants to rise up and keep us from hin and hinder us from coming into that, we have the right to put it under our feet and take authority over it. So take courage. You know, Kim, your field's not my field and my field's not your field. All we gotta worry about is where your field is. And where is that? Everywhere you walk, everywhere you go. Look around this week and see who God is making ripe for the harvest in your field. I know some of the people in my field. Colossians 4 or 5 says, walk in wisdom toward those who where? Are outside, that means outside the faith. Doing what? redeeming the time, because it's time, people, that we take the harvest. Never retire, never retire. Get it out of your thought. It's the big American dream, to make a bunch of money and to retire and live fat and happy the rest of your life. That's not a God principle. Joshua and Caleb they were 40 when they were told to go in and take the land and it didn't happen for how many years? 40 more years. So when Joshua and Caleb got to go in and take their giants, how old were they? At least 80. <laughs> so retirement is not in for all of you. It's not even in the Bible, it's not a principle. John 9:4 says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because the night or the darkness is coming when no one can work. And people were on a fast track for that. And so we need to be about the business. How long do we have? Nobody knows. But we have to be able to deal with the fear in order to deal with going out into the field. Okay, would you stand and would the musicians come? And I asked a few people, I didn't get to see Debbie. Debbie, if you'll come on up too. Those who are gonna pray. My question to you is this. When you got saved, what did God have in mind for you in this day? 
What does he have in mind for you in this day and in 2022 even? What's he got for you? Do you know what it is? Part of it is going out into the fields, however you need to do that. Some water, some hoe, some pull weeds, some plant seeds, some reap. But we all have something to do. I want us to take a moment right now and ask the Holy Spirit to come and ask the Holy Spirit to evaluate your life about where you are and if fear has been the great intimidator to you. So Holy Spirit, if you'll just bow your heads, Holy Spirit, come right now and hover over us. Show us anywhere we operate in fear. Show us if we have a lack of the passion for those who are lost and are hurting and are going to hell. Show us where we have settled into retirement and have let our fields go over to someone else. Show us, Father, where we've not stepped up and we've taken what you have right in front of us All we have to do is cross over. Show us, Lord, if there's anything in us that keeps us from being those that you've called in this time and hour, because we're here because you made us to be here for this time. So come, Holy Spirit. Just put your finger on whatever needs to be put on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray right now that everybody who's listening that's here today or watching online or will watch down the road, that you would put your finger on whatever needs to be changed for you, tweaked for you, strengthened in you, wherever fear needs to be put under our feet. Help us, Holy Spirit, to step out in these days and take what you have desired for us to take because the harvest is truly ready. And so, Lord, we're praying you'd help to make us part of those who go out to take the harvest, Lord, in these last days so that we might have an eternal inheritance of souls to lay at your feet. Thank you, Jesus. If the Holy Spirit was showing you something and you would like a little extra prayer to overcome something or to just touch something or help it come into agreement with that, we have people up here who are willing to to pray for you. If not, be blessed and go. But I pray that your eyes will be open and starting today, you're gonna be available and interruptible for God to use you because when you go out there today, there are gonna be people all around you who need Jesus in some way. Spread your fruit, spread your, your fruit generously and love them because God came for God so loved. Amen? Amen. Be blessed, be blessed and go take the fields for God, okay? And if you want prayer, come on up.